hi, hello, and welcome to The Fool and the Page, a podcast for writers, the tarot curious, and for all of us who are making stories to make sense of things, hosted by me, Claire Campbell, your fellow seeker and storyteller. This episode is a Fool and the Page interview. And y'all, I had the privilege of speaking with my friend and neighbor, Kate Kelly. Kate is an educator, poet, a creative nonfiction writer, and a channeler of forgotten or buried histories. So in this episode, Kate and I discuss her current project, writing and researching Elise Cowan, an American poet who's really most famous for her work and association with Allen Ginsberg, but was truly a powerful storyteller in her own right. We talk about how um, minor mistakes and strange twists and turns led Kate on a path to uncovering details of Elise's life, including meeting those who knew her and all while letting these really unorthodox methods lead her, the writer and researcher. And then we ask the tarot, how do we find healing in the face of the unknown? Big question. And we come up with five of frickin' pentacles as our guide in that journey. Here's a little bit more about Kate, y'all. Caitlin Kelly is a poet and educator originally from Lexington, Kentucky. She holds an MFA in creative writing from the University of Texas at Austin's New Writers Project, where she served as the managing editor of Bat City Review. Kate currently works as the programs manager for the Library Foundation, overseeing creative writing workshops, library programs, and literacy campaigns for youth and adults across Austin. Her poems and essays can be found in Electric Lit, Narrative, Porterhouse Review, and many others. And I will put that link in the podcast description for the essay that she wrote on Elise. I, um, I've gotten the chance to work with Kate in different capacities. Um, and I think uh, what is so lovable and inspiring about Kate and I hope what comes through in our conversation about Five of Pentacles and, and about bringing stories out of silence is that Kate is truly hopeful about making the world a better place. But she's not naive. It's this hope that is founded in intellectual curiosity, reality, and pure hard work. Y'all, she's a Capricorn. She's a Capricorn. Um, if she's gonna, if she's gonna ring a bell in the wilderness, no wait, scratch that. If she's gonna trek out to the wilderness to find the sound, the source of a bell ringing in the wilderness, you know she'll find it. You also know she'll be able to chop down a tree and make shelter. Uh, she, you want her on your team in the end times. <laughs> I feel like she's on my end times team. I hope she thinks I'm on hers. I can't chop down a tree, but like, I'll entertain you. Um, <laughs> I hope you're entertained and inspired by this conversation with Kate. And I'm just going to jump right in there. I'm going to, I'm going to just like scrub past the part where Kate and I just like marvel at each other about the fact that we're speaking on November 8th, 2020, um, and head right into the heart of it where Kate and I are talking about writing and creating in lockdown and what that looks like for her. And then I ask about how she's not really writing and researching in utter isolation because of this cosmic connection to her subject matter. 
you were doing a particular project where you were sort of in conversation with someone. Let's tell us about Elise. Tell us. Oh my goodness. I'm so happy to talk about Elise. So, um, I am working on a project that engages with the life and work of Elise Cowan. Elise is commonly known, and if you Google her name, E-L-I-S-E-C-O-W-E-N, you will find that she was a beat poet, that she hung out with Allen Ginsberg. Um, She's often called Ginsberg's girlfriend, which is complicated in its own many, many, many ways. You'll also find that she was the typist for Allen Ginsberg's um, final version of his poem, Kaddish, which is him writing to his mother who has has passed on. Right. So it is this like ceremony of grief that she's typing for Ginsberg. So that is who Lisa is on this very surface Google Wikipedia level. There is not a ton about her that exists online. And there is not a ton that exists about her in written in written materials that you would find in, in your average library. And so part of my project began my last semester in my MFA back in 2016, which is a year that now rings with, with a certain um, mm-hmm. flavor and taste all of own. So uh, spring of 2016, I'm uh, researching Elise for a project I'm working on for a class that at the time I thought was like a nothing kind of thing, right? I'm like, I'm not going to do anything with this beyond the here and now, beyond the class I'm taking. So I ended up doing some research at the Harry Ransom Center, which is um, an archival collection um, based out of the University of Texas at Austin. They house all kinds of fascinating things from like the costumes and um, all the materials and ephemera from Gone with the Wind down to like a piece of Edgar, Edgar Allan Poe's hair down to like Gar- Gabrielle Garcia Marquez's manuscript collection. I mean, like they have so, so much. So I was looking to see if there was anything about Elise within the archive. Specifically, they house some of Ginsburg's Allen Ginsburg's papers. So I'm searching on the search tools. And in order to get into an archive, you have to go through all of these different barriers too, right? Like you have to have your, put your purse in a a box with a key and and you have to be checked to get in, right? So like already there's this upgraded gatekeeper security. Um, I'm finally in, I'm finally searching. And only one article came up about Elise, which is what I'd been expecting to find. And then as I dug a little deeper, I just thought, I mean, let me search again, maybe under a different category. I searched again and I accidentally misspelled her last name instead of C-O-W-E-N. I spell it C-O-W-A-N and I get a hit. But it's not for Elise Cowan with an A. It's for Elsie Cowan with an A. So it was actually a double misspelling. Elise was Elsie. Cowan was Cowan. And in actually pulling that item, it was one hit at that one letter. It was a letter, um, a letter correspondence between Elise and Peter Orlovsky, who is Allen Ginsberg's long-term partner and uh, life partner. And that really set me on this track of realizing what an interesting figure she was. This is wild that this mistake led you to all these doors opening up and opening up and opening up. And I know because I've heard you talk about 
the process of, of trying to uncover these pieces of information and the archival silence thereof. To work on a project like this with that deep cavernous gulf of archival silence. Clearly, okay, you navigated that weird gap accidentally and came upon something, but this was a one-off. As you continue the work, which you're doing, how do you navigate the gaps? What does that look like? Yeah, and that is what is so hard. Um, when we think about the archive, we think about it as a space in which we can commune. We think about it as a space in which we can um, visit people, right? It's, it's a liminal space in which you're visiting the, the ephemera of someone's life, the papers. You can smell so much in an archive. But what happens when those things aren't there? What happens when those things don't exist? I mean, I literally found two things about her life in this archive. Do I then scour the rest trying to find another mistake? I mean, the fact remains that she was not cataloged. She was not considered important in the way that I am considering her important. And we know this happens across all forms of research and all forms of any kind of writing that's requiring you to um, kind of resurrect a story or reclaim a story or um, reframe reframe history in a way, right? Um, and I think I think specifically of like the great work done um, recovering Zora Neale Hurston's work that, of course, Alice Walker did. Um, and, and so, so many writers have built their careers off of this type of work. For me, I just kept hitting dead end after dead end after dead end within traditional forms of research. And of course, at the time I was at a university system, I was trying to, you know, follow the good rules. Sure. But what was most interesting for me most interesting moments happen when I stopped following those paths that had been preset for me. And I'm like, what if I use a tarot card to answer a question? What if I use our tools for meaning making beyond systemic meaning making and institutional meaning making to form hypotheses and then see what holds up and what doesn't? That proved to be the most helpful type of research that I could do because I ended up uncovering pieces of information that I had never previously thought to look for. And again, I'm kind of skirting around what would be considered traditional here because I'm asking tarot cards. I'm using a pendulum. I have an altar set up with a pack of palm oil cigarettes. Like none of this is exactly what is considered scholarly or um, it's not something I would like really want to take to like an NPR fact checker necessarily. But, but the fact is that Elise's life is complicated in all of those ways that even if you, you find all the evidence and you take it to a fact checker, there are direct inconsistencies. Um, one of my mo the most fascinating aspects of her as a person is that her middle name is Nada. <laughs> um, so nothingness in this project also comes out of a naming and misnaming. Um, but nothing is also what you think you kind of find at first. Oh, there's nothing. But the nothing is, is the Elise, right? Mm. The nothing is the nada. Um, and so, you know, that's what's, what's really opened me up to be more receptive to like messages and 
ideas and signs that have ultimately guided me. There's something about leaning into the mystery, which feels, okay. I mean, to jump ahead a little bit, we are going to talk about healing today. That's part of our question that we're posing to the tarot. When I was looking back at your article for Electric Literature, um, which we'll put in the podcast description for anybody who wants to check it out and wants to learn more, it was it was like both not a surprise and also totally heartbreaking to revisit this sort of like moment of violence post Elise's death when her parents, I guess this was in like 1962, 1963, were so upset by the like queer content of her work and the, and the, the, the drug themes, the sexuality, the drugs, they were so upset by this. They had a neighbor burn her work, all her remaining notebooks and writing and revisiting this, just like the violence of that really struck me. And I, I don't know, there's some like really great idealistic hope I'm finding in the sense that we can heal these gulfs of archival silence by not only searching, but also being like really receptive to what messages might be out there about these writers that we're trying to share with the world who have not been shared with the world because they were not deemed worthy of it. Or that we can just be more receptive to sort of like what the community or different communities have to say about these writers, as opposed to going to one formal certified stamped place <laughs> that's supposed to tell us how to think. I, what I'm hearing is there's a great opportunity for healing there in that process. Absolutely. And I think when I began this work, the violence of that act, burning her work um, after her death, and, and Elise passed away when um, she was so young, too. She was in her late 20s, and she took her own life, and there's violence in that as well, right? And there's, there's a way in which I've had to rethink the fine, I think the burning is considered like this final side, um, violence. This is a final violence that silences her, right? But we also knew that part of what the parents were struggling with in that moment was um, the loss of their, their only child. Yeah. They're dealing with the loss of their daughter. And they have lost their daughter in both her bodily life leaving. And then they read this work and they are suddenly grieving the person they thought she was, right? Because they, they were not aware of her sexual identity and the sexual identities of her friends. I mean, she's hanging out with a beatnik. She's living in San Francisco. She is getting drunk with Jack Kerouac. Like they accidentally slept together one night, you know, like, like she's living this life that you know, in hindsight has now become such an iconic moment within American literature. But in that moment, it's not there yet, right? 
they don't know the, they don't know what, what this will end up being. And they're scared by it. This is a time of crisis in our country. Uh, this is a time of cold war. And so they are trying to protect themselves from being perceived as communist. They are trying to erase. It's an act of erasure for sure. It's violent act of erasure. They're trying to erase this person that is not the daughter they thought they had. And in doing that, I think they're trying to heal. Hmm. And I think there's, there's a level of forgiveness I have to offer them for that. And that's been, that's been part of what I've been wrestling with lately. Um, when everything is a flame and a blaze, how do we move forward? And how do we move forward in a way that's being aware of what other people are going through? In the process to uncover what perhaps has been lost, you've had some wild experiences. Would you be willing to share one or two? I'm going to call them encounters. <laughs> you can. <laughs> um, what what sort of wild experiences have you had doing this work? What stands out to you? Yeah, so many. I have a whole document of all the wild experiences. Um, so many. One of them came um, from asking the question of where to find more information, right? The archive is insufficient. If the work has been burned, where do, where, where do you go? And I drew three of cups. It made me think, okay, obvious answer here go to the people that were there for those moments in her life, go to her friends, go to the, specifically the women, right? The, those are the most interesting stories to me. And those are the ones that need to be told. And they've been completely overshadowed by the stories of the men. Um, so the, the first person that came to mind was Joyce Johnson. Uh, Joyce Johnson is a phenomenal novelist, phenomenal writer, um, was best friends with Elise when they were at Barnard together. And um, during the period of time in which Elise is very close with Allen Ginsberg and Peter Orlovsky, Joyce is dating on again, off again, as much as you can date Jack Kerouac. So um, Joyce writes about this period of time in her life in a, a phenomenal memoir called Minor Characters. And Elise is really a huge character within that. So I reached out to Joyce Johnson and, you know, my background's in poetry. This is one of my first big nonfiction projects. I'm, I have no name <laughs> uh, in this world. And I reached out to Joyce through email. She very graciously said that she would meet with me. So I, I go to New York and, and that's coming straight from that card, right? That's coming straight from the three of cups. Um, so I walk into her apartment to meet her after months of anticipating this. And she asked me if I would like iced coffee. I said, yeah, of course I don't drink coffee. I was being polite. <laughs> I figured she wanted iced coffee too. I say, yes. and she walks out with these giant glass, like 1970s chalice like cups full of iced coffee for us. 
and they look just like the cards in their Rider Waite or Smith Rider Waite deck. And I am just floored in that moment. And I'm thinking, this can't be, this isn't exact. There's only two of us, right? Maybe this is two of, yeah, I don't know. I'm like, I'm, I, I'm kind of a disbelief and not wanting to buy into it. And then as we sat down and had a conversation, there were real moments of silence in which I felt there were emotions that I was feeling at, mo- at times and perhaps Joyce was feeling at times that we couldn't express with language. Her window was open the whole time and I could hear the sounds of the city just coming and coming and coming in. And in those moments, I really did feel as though there was a third there. And for the longest time, I'd run through the list of people the, the third could be. Um, is it this friend? Is it Janine Palmi Vega? Is it, um, is it Sheila, mysterious Sheila from Minor Characters? Is it this, this, this? And in the moment, I was like, no, this is Elise, Joyce, and me. And the card led me straight to that moment. In that moment, I can imagine you saying like, there's only two cups. This like, what am I, what am I thinking? And also simultaneously, like, who cares? Because it's so gorgeous, that moment of like her bringing forth the chalices and then hearing this voice of the city, hearing this voice of Elise, like coming through the window. These, like, whether these things like sit with you as real or not, isn't this like why we write is for these kinds of moments? Like, I don't know. I, for me personally, if writing were never transcendent, if the process like never felt like it transcended, I don't know if I'd be up for it. And that can mean like a million different things to different people. But like, to me, that kind of moment is like the magic of like why we keep making as we, as we structure these stories, as we, as, or as we sort of try to uncover other people's stories and tell their stories, um, we're also like structuring our own. We're also creating a really super interesting narrative for ourselves. Working in creative nonfiction is this like really interesting space. It's sometimes about a lot of like blurred lines between fact and fiction, dealing with memory, dealing with people, like speaking with a person like Joyce and sort of dealing with that memory or sort of like perhaps unreliable narrator, dealing with the ego of that. There's all these factors that come into creating creative nonfiction that I think, mm, you know, we've talked about more and more and more just in the past, like, I don't know, 15 years. What what do you think about when you think about that phrase, creative nonfiction? What is it like for you to sort of like write and research along that blurred line, along what sometimes might feel like a bit of an edge? What is, how's your experience been with that and how does it continue to be? Yeah. Um, when I was sitting there with Joyce, one of the first things she said was that you can't write a biography. This can't be a traditional biography. And she just, she just said it and she was right. I was, I was reaching that realization in in the material I was able to find. This can't be a traditional biography. So what we think of as nonfiction has definitely um, not checked the box of traditional biography. So now we have creative nonfiction, which is like anything from like lyric essay to like New Yorker article um, to like the ways that all of that intersects in, 
and, and beyond. There's so much more there as well. And for me, as a poet, I think poetry is a part of that. And I also think that form and structure in poetry has informed the way I think about the inventive nature of creative nonfiction. We have all of these inherited forms within poetry that we often write into that create structural creative restraints for us. A lot of times people say, well, what books are you using? What, what are your guides? There are very few books I would point to and say, I'm trying to write or do what's been similarly done in X, Y, and Z fashion. What I'm writing and what it feels like for me, both in terms of process, content, and like output is dialogue and conversation between what I'm finding from Elisa's life and what I'm living right alongside that. Um, a specific example, this past August, I, I went away um, on a little writing retreat and I went to Santa Fe. It was going to be a day's drive. I just needed a place I could get away that had like affordable cabin in the mountains um, to where I could hunker down and write. When I arrived, there was this fire raging over the ridge of the mountains just north of Santa Fe. And the fire made me think so much more deeply about the fire within Elisa's life, of course, like the burning of her work, but also think about the fact that she's a Leo, she's a fire sign. Um, there is a type of defiance and protest in which she lived her life that was in direct opposition to um, the status quo. And so these kind of parallel moments as they climb up are part of what I think of as a cre creative nonfiction magic, because you can really find content based on tapping into the energy of what you are writing into. And I cannot create a timeline or structure or an outline for this because it is a little bit spontaneous, which is also the gift. I'd like to talk about the card that we pulled together. It's, it was a bit of a wild moment. Typically what I'm always asking is like, what is coming forward to serve the writer? What's coming forward to serve the creative? And it's a little bit open-ended. We've, We've both made it more limited and also like opened it wide up with this question. So the question that we've posed today is in the face of the unknown, how do we find space for healing? All right. I mean, we're thinking about this, obviously, Kate, you're thinking about this for your own work, facing the unknown in terms of facing the archival silence, the gaps in story, uncovering things. And we're also feeling this way, there, this is a collective feeling. We are facing the unknown right now, sort of um, in the US of A, and we are also facing it globally, right? Um, in the midst of the pandemic. And then for some people, the unknown is the norm and they're facing it all of their lives, right? But we're sort of feeling it acutely in this moment. So this is the question we're asking in the face of the unknown, how do we find space for healing? And y'all, we drew five of pentacles, Kate, you, you have an interesting deck um, that we're going to reference. I'd also like to mention that if you look at this in the Smith Rider weight, you're going to see somewhat of a grim scene. You're going to see a scene outside of a church um, with this sort of like beautiful stained glass window um, 
that seems like a sort of safe lit space, but below it, we see two figures, um, one of whom is walking with crutches, one of whom has very tattered clothes and is pulling um, a cloak tight around their neck as if to indicate that, you know, they're slightly chilly. It's a snow, it's a snow scene, it's a winter scene, it's a scene of scarcity. And this is a card that makes us think about scarcity. Um, this is a card that makes us think about, oh, like the struggle and what to overcome. Um, right. This is, these are sort of like traditional conversations we have around this card. This is why it can be really interesting to look at different decks and their inter interpretations to sort of like elongate or adapt kind of like how you see this card and how it's sitting with you in the moment. Kate, would you mind describing the deck that you have and what that illustration looks like for you with Five of Pentacles? Yeah, sure thing. This deck is uh, an amazing deck. It is a, a deck inspired by Emily Dickinson that has been reinterpreted by five um, living poets and artists. Um, Emily Pettit and Bianca Stone are, are two of those um, poets who are who are part of the creators of this deck. Um, so it's inspired by Emily Dickinson and Dickinson definitely has some parallels um, to Elise, uh, and, which is part of why I pulled this deck, but it fits so well with the Five of Pentacles. The Five of Pentacles in this deck, it has a really beautiful border in which all of the... Um, these like multicolored flowers in the border have a pentacle at the core, a pentacle um, where we would find the, the pollen, where the, the stamen is, um, where, where the drippy, gooey, sexual part of that flower exists. There we've got the pentacles and those are all around the border. But then the actual center of the card is quite plain. We have a blue sky blue background with a bone in in center and it is just a bone it is the bareness of the bone it is one bone um and it is completely stripped bare you can see the marrow in it i mean that is how detailed this um <laughs> the drawing is here um and it is it's just like floating and hovering there right there's there's no context for it I mean, Claire, what, this, this just feels like our moment. This card, as Kate and I were chatting about earlier, is a bit about stripping things down to the bone and dealing with a moment that is going to help us evolve and rebuild. Fives, fives help us evolve, right? This indicates if we're asking, okay, in the face of the unknown, unknown, how do we find space for healing? This is, this is when it's great. Like when you pose a question, when you pose a question to the tarot like this, in the face of the unknown, how do we find space for healing? You're like, let it be the star, let it be the star. And you're crossing your fingers like, please let it be something that tells me that the healing is imminent and I don't have to do anything. <laughs> Wouldn't that be lovely? And I think this is very fitting because there is work to be done in order to heal, right? If we sat around waiting for it to happen, 
it probably never would. And in looking at the Smith Rider weight, we also noticed something that I had never paid any attention to you. And some of you listening to this are going to be like, obviously it was always there and that's totally fine. And that is the bell hanging around one of the figure's neck. So the figure who's walking with the crutches has a bell hanging around their neck. And Kate pointed it out like, wait a minute, what's up with the bell? Well, we discovered Y'all, it's a plague bell. <laughs> this, this is a plague bell meant to call out before this person rolls into town that they're carrying a disease around with them. What the hell? And we we talked a little bit about that, Kate, about this sort of like voice ringing out in the quiet, ringing out in the cold. And that feels very apt for a moment where things feel unknown, and in which you feel unheard. Mm. And that seems to be another element of this time when a lot of people are ringing out and, 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 yeah. and, and striving to be heard. Um, and it, it, it harkens back to this notion of archival silence and what has been left out, what stories have been left out. We've already said it. We're talking today. And yesterday we found out the results of the presidential election. You know, I rang my bell yesterday. You know, I, I tooted my car horn. I, um, I, I was banging the pots. Um, and today I think I'm, I'm way more reflective and way more identifying with that character in the car. The plague is still happening, right? Nothing has significantly changed about my life between yesterday and today. And so like this moment of celebration was wonderful and great, but we're still back to being confronted with ourselves in the same way that we have been for the past eight months. And we are back to being confronted and we're at the point where it is exhausting and we have broken some bones maybe, and we are on our two crutches and we've got our plague veil and we're just in the snow, you know? I mean, nothing captures how I feel more than that figure right now. And I think we go through seasons of this on an individual level. I think Elise is someone who definitely went through seasons of this, who is definitely working on her own path of healing at different points throughout her whole life from various, various ways that she was having to resist society. But I also think that collectively we're all going through that right now mm. in our own individual ways and that's really important for us to think about what archives do we trust what sanctuaries do we trust mm -hmm. um how are those things not holding up and like you said how can we build them how can we help others build them when they don't have those safe spaces how can we build them for ourselves but also how can we how can we share our resources to help people who are really struggling to find a safe space right now? So let's cut through and just like cut through to the heart of this question of advising the artist. Now, Kate, if Five of Pentacles were sitting in front of the artist, offering up advice and encouragement, what do you think Five of Pentacles would have to say? 
five of pentacles says, I see you. I see you in this moment. Mm -hmm. I see you struggling. I see you with a partner, right? There, there is a coupling in this card. There are two figures, but I see that it feels as though you are alone. And I see that you are still moving. I see that you are on your crutches with your plague bell, but you are still moving. And I see that there is something for you that is just out of frame that you have not yet discovered, but that you are going to be creating. That is the hope that I find in this card. And I love that this brings up what I think um, is great advice for anyone, no matter where you are in the creative process whether you feel like you have the resources that you need in this moment in time, whether you feel like you have nothing and you've got to find it and you're desperate to, no matter where you are in that spectrum, I think the five of pentacles is saying to the creative that it is okay to not know exactly where you're going. It's like, Kate, you mentioned this, you know, walking past the church and sort of being on this path and being on this journey and knowing that you can't stop here maybe, and you've got to keep going. And Okay. Aiming for a specific, I am all about being goal oriented. And if a specific goal motivates you, fantastic. And I know, um, you know, this is probably going to be launching toward the end of NaNoWriMo, which for a lot of writers is a time to really use an extremely specific goal to motivate you. And that's fantastic. But Kate, you said something earlier when we were chatting that just rang so true for me. And that's that you don't know what you're building and creating because it's never been made before. And I feel like there is great comfort and inspiration to be found in this. I mean, when you said that, I was just like all the bells, speaking of bells, were going off like, wow, what a comforting thing. What an inspiring thing. You are well on your way, but you may not look like you may not know what that destination looks like. And that's okay. There can be healing along the way of finding out exactly what that place is going to be or what it's going to look like when you've, when you finished. Um, What else, Kate, what, what else did I miss for the advice from this card? You, I think you got so much Claire. I think this card in that, that, that part that you're reminding me of what, what we were discussing earlier that is originality. That is originality. That is a core aspect of your creativity. And that is what part, it's part of what makes us feel lonely because it's sometimes hard to even just describe this thing that you're making with someone else. And that can feel like a moment of isolation within isolation. I'm very grateful that I have a community of people that I've been able to share these really interesting aspects of my journey with Claire is of course, one of those amazing, wonderful people, but I've had to carve some of those relationships in unexpected places, the relationships themselves that are maybe the crutches that help me get through end up looking so much more different than I would have thought four years ago when I was just a graduate student, miss misspelling things (laughs) in an archival library. Um, (laughs) So is it lonely work? Yes, it's lonely. If you've done NaNoWriMo in quarantine in 2020, 
that is lonely at times. So that's where you've got to find your crutches. Um, You've got to find your people in that moment because what you're doing is worthy and worth it. And what you're doing has not been done before, right? That's our faith. If we're talking about sanctuary, that's our faith that we have to have in our own work. And we know that doesn't come from external sources. You know, I want to hear about sort of like what's keeping you going right now. What's, you know, what's like inspiring you and giving you life. Tell us a little bit about this like new or like newish interest. Talking about my new typewriter obsession. I'm obsessed obsessed with the typewriters. Oh, I was warned. I was warned by my typewriter friends uh, when this journey began. Back in March, of course, as the world changed and shifted beneath our feet, I was on so many Zoom meetings and I was on screens constantly, right? Even my entertainment, if I wanted to watch something, was on a screen and my eyes could not take it. I'm someone who's had very good vision my entire life. And all of a sudden, I was having issues and I was having migraines. Um, And I just couldn't handle the screen time anymore. And all of my work had been on the computer prior to that. So I was like, well, how do I get my work done? If the device I am using is actively hurting me physically to use. Um, And that's when I just said, I've got to bite the bullet and buy myself a nice typewriter. So I, I found a great little Erica. Uh, It's a beautiful 1934, I believe is the year she was born. Um, Erica Model S typewriter. And she's beautiful. I love her. She's given me an escape from screens, an escape from my my keyboard um, on my computer that sometimes gives me issues. And she's also connected me with Elise in a way. Um, because Elise, of course, is a typist. It was one, one thing you'll discover when you 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 Wikipedia or Google her or whatever. Um, um, yeah, the typewriter, guys, think about the form. I mean, the, this bone card, this five also makes me think, how are you writing? You know, the materiality of how you're writing. Are you writing by hand? Are you writing on a typewriter? Are you writing on a computer? Are you using voice to text? Are you using your notes app on your iPhone or other smartphone? So like reinventing and finding new ways to do that has been so much fun. Typewriter's cool. Or I'm obsessed. If you want to talk typewriters, let me know, people. The other thing, too, I would say is I've been doing comics. I've been drawing comics every day um, with my partner. And we've been doing little uh, cartoons from the Linda Berry making comics book. So fun. mixing things up. So much fun. And let, let's give our listeners like a few recommendations for how they can indulge in this um, obsession if they want to get on board. There's a couple like great places here in Austin. And I know there's like a ton across the nation that I'm sure you've discovered, but like shout out to our friend, Sean Petrie and the typewriter rodeo collective, which you can follow. We'll put that in the podcast description, but Kate, what else have you uncovered in this obsession that could be fun to check out? Oh my gosh, you guys, there's a whole treasure trove of online communities for typewriters. The local (laughs) one here in Austin is Austin typewriter Inc. Um, and that is, uh, a wonderful little space that there, you know, has become a virtual community that much more during quarantine times or coin times, as they say. Um, so you can check that out. There's actually a podcast. The Facebook group has their own podcast run by uh, David Torres, 
who, who is one of the admins on that Facebook group. Um, yes. So definitely typewriter rodeo, definitely Austin typewriter Inc. That's I N K and also typewriter tarot. Um, uh, our friend, Cecily Saylor. Um, Absolutely. On the podcast. And I love, I love, um, looking at what Cecily creates on the typewriter because she's really artfully crafting her cards, um, that are, that are of course these, these, these arrow based cards, but they're typed out, um, as poems, mystic messages, um, for you and yours. So you can get your typewriter fix at any of those places and more, I'm sure. (laughs) Um, I just, I love that you're talking about like pulling down something a little cosmic and making it very tactile and making the experience really solid and concrete, especially right now when perhaps we feel a little untethered and don't feel particularly grounded in screen-based communication. This feels like a way, even if you're receiving this sort of like cosmic message and, you know, to reference like what you're doing and also like what Cecily is doing with typewriter tarot, pulling down something from another realm and then like creating this really like tactile experience to process that and then to share it feels like truly healing. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I got a small personal note. I had not realized that growing up, I didn't have, I did not have a computer growing up until we didn't, have a family computer until I think I was in late, late middle school. And I grew up typing on my grandparents' typewriter. I would sit in my granddad's lap and type. And he passed about a year ago now. And it's been really healing to even deal with the materiality of something that harkens back to good memories, right? Those are healing memories for me to think about learning to type on the typewriter in his lap. Um, and that's, that's a, that's a materiality that I've come full circle back to. Right. Um, so I know people are baking, people are cooking, people are, um, indulging in things that offer those good memories, um, which of course are like easy indulgences because we all love food, but what are the like habits and, um, muscle memory moments that are going to bring you back to that as well? I, I had no idea I would feel different, um, typing after his passing and Mm -hmm. after, after all that we're going through, right? That was super healing for me. All right. Deep breath before we go into the guided writing, y'all. Let's do a collective inhale, exhale, breathe in deep. And exhale. All right. If you're sitting at your desk, if you're actually going to put pen to paper or type something up, I encourage you to put away your phone. You don't need it for this. And just make your space your own for a Pomodoro's worth of guided writing activities, which I collaborated with my guest, Kate Kelly on. Are you ready? Let's go. First prompt. What is sanctuary to you or your character? What does that look and feel like? Is it a physical space? It is, is it a state of being? Describe sanctuary 
for six minutes. Pause the recording and write for six minutes. Go for it. And we're back. Okay. For the second prompt, we invite you to pull a card from your tarot deck at random, or you can select one that you're not as familiar with and you want to dive into a little bit more deeply, or you can use the one that we've pulled tonight, Five of Pentacles. The pictures of that are in my Instagram feed, um, at Fool in the Page. There's also a link in the show notes for your reference. Pull that card, have it handy, and then write into the unknown space of the card. What do you notice? If you're looking at Five of Pentacles, what do you notice that we did not discuss tonight, this morning, this afternoon, whenever you're listening to this? Do any specific associations come to mind? How does this card put you in touch with a new part of yourself? Your could be your personal self, your artist self, your social self, your familial self, your professional self. Right into the unknown of this card and do that for seven minutes. Pause and write for seven minutes starting now. All right, we're back. Third prompt. Imagine that you or your character's sanctuary is no longer accessible for whatever reason. It's no longer open to them. The door is closed. What do they do or what do you do to rebuild? Describe how you or your character reaches out forms ideas and dreams big to rebuild sanctuary. I want you to write for eight minutes on this one. So pause the recording and write for eight minutes starting now. And we're back. This final prompt is a little bit of self-reflection. So just a few minutes for this one, three to four to five minutes. Hey, if you got more time, double it, triple it, whatever you need. But it, it can be a really quick one. And you can even, if you're, if you're walking around, if you're in your car and still listening, you can just think about it and kind of meditate on it. Jot down a list of three unknowns that you face this coming week. And then write down your talismans to face them. So this is going to be like a list of pairings or meditating on a series of pairings. So, th so this could be like you have a doctor's appointment and your talisman, your, your sort of um, tool or power to face that could be a phone call with a trusted friend or phone call with a trusted family member. Or this could be a virtual hang with a writer's group. Another one could be like, mm, an unknown that you're facing this coming week could be struggling to sleep well, like you're just not sleeping good these days. So that could be an unknown, like, am I going to go to sleep? Am I going to have insomnia? What's going to happen? And then your talisman could be this absolutely gorgeous novel 
that you can't wait to read at night and could keep you company if you're unable to sleep. So you're going to jot down a list of pairings, three unknowns and three talismans. Go for it. Okay, let's do another deep breath in, deep breath out. So breathe in deep. And exhale. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Kate Kelly. I know I did. I hope you got something out of the writing prompts. And I hope you've got a little bit of good energy to take you through into the next phase of your day, into your week. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe. And if you're listening to it on iTunes, give it a good rating, pretty please, and share with your friends. Here's an idea. Swap this podcast with a friend and they give you a podcast in return. There's so many. There's so many, y'all. There's so many podcasts on creativity. You can just do a little creative gift swap and have yourself um, a little time set aside um, with a new conversation and a new resource for your own writing, your own making. I invite you to tell me what card you want to hear from. DM me on Instagram at fool in the page or email me fool in the page at gmail.com. Let me know what card do you want to get advice from? And I'm happy to discover that alongside you. And, um, focus on that for the next podcast. Thanks so much for being here. Truly. Thank you. And until the next time we write together, take care. Bye-bye.